the SF Music Tech Summit, recorded live by Media One Audiovisual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. Thank you all for coming. I mean, it's been a great day so far, and we're just thrilled you're all here. And we're thrilled about this panel, this interview. This is going to be one of the highlights of the day. And uh, though they need no introductions, here we're going to go. We've got Lori Siegel from CNN, who we're thrilled to have come in from, uh, from New York for this. We're absolutely, you know, thrilled. Here we've got uh, Dennis Wiz Leonard, who we'll let him say a little bit more about himself, but he's been at it for couple years now. Um, and over here we have Bob Weir from, I think, <laughs> probably the most popular touring band of all time. It's definitely the band that I saw more than any other band. And, uh, and uh, let's take it away from here. Are you good to go, Lori? Yes, we are good. Can people hear me? Yeah. All right. Yeah, you guys, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you guys. I'm in the presence of a rock star. Um, so I, I want to start off, because we're going to talk about TRI, which is Bob's new venture, and it's really, really interesting. But I want to start off with a little bit of the, the history of Grateful Dead and, and the impact you guys had on, on technology. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you, you guys know. Um, talk to me a little bit about some of those concepts you introduced early on and, and kind of what that, that did for, for the music realm, you know, particularly tape swapping and the well and, you know, wall of sound, that kind of thing. Okay. I guess what I'm going to do is get started way back, and then we can go I, as far as, back <laughs> as I uh, as I rattle on. You can you can just sort of yep. gently guide me, uh, remind me about certain things. But <laughs> to begin with, uh, music has always been wedded to technology. Um, the, the invention of the lute that's that's technology. The the invention of the violin, the piano was huge technology. And, uh, and then there were incidental uh, developments like the phonograph, um, the radio. Um, and music was profoundly influenced by those developments and the development of electric instruments in the, in the last century. And, and now the, uh, well, now the digital era and uh, and the web and all that kind of stuff is going to further influence music in ways that no one can see right now. Um, but we're we're working on that. And I won't say front, but we're working in that direction. The future, I guess. Um, so that's sort of an overview. Um, the Grateful Dead has. Uh, a history of being involved in, in the technology of music. I guess we're all sort of gadget freaks, all, all the guys uh, in the band. Um, and, we sort of, and we kept up with developments in the music in, musical instrument world and, and the sound uh, re reproduction and reinforcement world. And Way, way back when, um, I guess Jerry and I and Pigpen, Jerry Garcia, Ron McKernan, and, and myself were working in a music store. And we were playing in an acoustic band, a jug band, Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions. And, uh, and we, 
We were playing, ampli you know, amplified acoustic music. We started out all playing around one microphone, and there were a couple of speakers up on the on the walls in the, in the clubs we were playing, and that was it. And when we decided to turn into a rock and roll band, we got what was commonly available for. Uh, for electric musicians to to play through, I, I think some Fender amps. Um, we, like I say, we were working in a music store, so we had access to a lot of the the various instruments and, and equipment. And I guess we all we all got started on Fender instruments at first. Then. Not long after we got started, we met this guy, Owsley Stanley. Uh, he, was, uh, he was known as the LSD king. He, but he was basically a kind of a renaissance guy. He was, I guess, the most... The most he, he could hold more things in his head than I think anyone I've ever met. And... Uh, he was beyond genius in that regard. And he, uh, he took us under his... Uh, well, he had made a lot of money uh, selling what was, at that time, not illegal, LSD. Um, but he, he... We got to know him, and we got to talking with him, and, and uh, he opened up a world of... Uh, of interest for us in uh, in exploring what can be done with music electronical technology, and we moved down to uh, L.A. with him for a, a few months and and developed a, our first big uh, electronic system. He had some nickels in his jeans and 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 he could. Uh, he could afford to do this with us, and he just, he was dog on a bone on the future, the f dog on a bone on the future of music in this particular case. And so um, he was also a quality freak, and so he insisted that we play all through, um, through we all play through the best um, Hi-fi gear available, the best audio gear available. We had Macintosh amplifiers and and uh, and uh, theater speakers, uh, the kind that you know you 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 heard movies over, and quickly found that that didn't work, and went back to the old Fender gear, but never gave up on on trying to get something better. Years and years of that pursuit have, uh, have brought us to many realizations, many discoveries. Uh, back in the... Uh, we, we worked on and off with, uh, with Owsley um, Bear, as he preferred to be uh, called. We worked on and off with him over the years, and in the early 70s, for instance, uh, we developed a, a sound system that was called the Wall of Sound. Um, and 
It was based off the linear array principle, and I can explain to, explain that to you briefly. Um, if you take a, just imagine a balloon, and then imagine that to be this dispersion pattern, pattern of a speaker, then you put a bunch of them, stack them up together, and then squeeze them. They will, they'll all spread out like that. And this is basically what will happen if you put a bunch of speakers on top of each other, and, and they'll, they'll propagate each other. So we built a system whereby um, there was no, there was no uh, stage, light or, stage right or stage left uh, uh, PA cluster. We just had uh, stacks of speakers behind us, uh, each, each behind the, uh, the musician who was playing. And I had a stack about, oh, 25 feet high, 30 maybe, and uh, our bass player had a stack of speakers, I guess, probably 45 feet high, maybe 50. It was up there. And most of the, most of the sound from these speakers, uh, we couldn't hear. We could only hear the ones right behind us. But the, the stuff that was over our heads went back and could reach the back of the hall, probably better than anything that's been developed since then. The back... Uh, the backlash was, uh, or the unfortunate part, was that uh, it, uh, it took days, or uh, it took a full day to, uh, to load it into a, to a, a hockey hall. And then, so we, we couldn't play two nights in a row anywhere in what, unless we could sell the place out two nights in a row. And back in the early 70s, that was, uh, that was kind of a task for us. So we would tour, we would sell out, sell out the, 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 uh, the, the arenas um, pretty much nightly and just barely break even. So it wasn't uh, economically feasible to, uh, to do that. After, after a couple of years with that system, we, uh, we knocked off for a year just to sort of regroup and rethink the whole situation. But that's one, you know, it was, it was one experiment that we made that uh, sort of exemplifies the kind of uh, the kind of thinking that went on behind our our little investigations into into sound and that yeah. kind of stuff. Bob, I'd love to use the wall of sound and you know the Grateful Dead's commitment to sound and sound quality to get into talking about Tri Studios or TRI and what and what you guys are doing there. So tell us cuz I, I don't I'm not sure if everyone's aware but you know you've embarked on this really cool new venture where you're once again pushing the envelope. So tell us tell us what uh, what TRI is and you know what's been your your goal with that. Okay, I'm going to start off and then I'm going to pass it off to uh, Dennis over here cuz he's got some interesting stuff to say. Um, I started about two years ago. I had a little studio in uh, in uh, southern San Rafael, and <clears throat> it was just a rehearsal facility for myself and my bands. And we did a little recording there. We uh, no big deal. I had had a studio at my home, uh, built a little studio off to the side of my home back in the uh, early '70s. And I had a, a recording console there and a tape machine there, and we moved all that stuff into 
into my studio in San Rafael. And we were working there for a few years, and then a couple of years ago, the, uh, the good folks at API, who make, uh, what is API? Automated, automated Process Incorporated. Yeah, Automated Processes in, Incorporated, who make uh, legendary um, audio gear. In particular, they make recording consoles. And they uh, made me that good old-fashioned offer I couldn't refuse, which was uh, they would give me, if, if, if I would come back to the AES show, that's the Audio Engineers Society uh, show in New York that year, and play their little hoedown there, um, they would give me a deep discount on their top-of-the-line, all-the-bells-and-whistles recording console. Well, I rose right smartly to that bait. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, so I went back and, and did the show, and they were building, they were busy building the console. They'd do them one by one. And I, uh, I was talking to my accountant about, well, you know, now that we're getting a serious recording console in here, and we have some good microphones, and I think we're going to get a few more, I'm thinking about uh, doing a little bit of work on the studio. Uh, I think we probably ought to float the floors um, to uh, decouple them from the roads out, out in front of the uh, studio facility and, and maybe put in some uh, sound reinforcement so, you, you know, the, so the, the building was acoustically isolated. And I think maybe we need to build in a, a recording, uh, a, 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 a control room. And uh, he was scratching his head thinking, are we trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear here? And that afternoon, the, the afternoon of, the, of that conversation, um, uh, a realtor called my accountant and, and uh, said that there's a piece of property that one of your clients uh, might be interested in. It's a, it's a building that has been built up in northern San Rafael. Uh, it was built as a, uh, as a rehearsal facility, but they, uh, they brought in uh, an acoustical uh, consultant and... Uh, they did everything right. They decoupled the, uh, they floated the floor, decoupling it from, uh, from uh, the, the surroundings, and they they insulated all the walls, and uh, and there were two big studio rooms and a number of smaller studio rooms. There was no, it was built as a rehearsal facility, so there was no control room in there. And uh, it, but it seemed like a real good idea. And on top of that. Uh, the well, the problem with the rehearsal facility was that the business model did not and would not work. You can't charge enough for uh, for a rehearsal facility to to pay the invest pay off the investment that uh, they made in 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 sound insulation and sound design. So. Um, they put it on the market. It, it, it was right when the real estate market was uh, hitting, hitting the, hitting, hitting the dirt. And uh, also, uh, on top of that, in order for anyone anyone else to to buy the building, they would have had to have ripped out all the uh, installations in there, the acoustical installations, and uh, 
that was going to cost a lot of money. So the, the price for this building was, uh, for me, it was an ideal building, or pretty much ideal. And for anyone else, um, it was not an ideal, so an ideal building at all. So the price for the building was uh, real low. And so once again, I jumped, jumped right, right smartly to that bait. And I brought in some old friends, John Cutler, uh, who was, uh, well, he was the um, co-producer and engineer on uh, a number of our uh, the Grateful Dead's records. Uh, and a real brilliant guy, and, a, and an amazing sound engineer. He also mixed us live. And, uh, and I brought in Dennis Leonard over here, old friend. Uh, uh, Dennis and I go back to the Europe 72 tour, or maybe even before that, but I don't remember. A little bit before. A <laughs> uh, little before that. And, uh, and we kicked it around a bunch and set out basically to build the ultimate playpen for musicians. And uh, Dennis did some redesign on the the acoustical facilities, and we all kicked around uh, the the technical f facilities. Um, and I'm going to let Dennis take over for a little bit because I'm yeah, not I, sure entirely wait, sure where to go from here. Yeah, I think you know, I think it's so essentially what you guys built was an HD webcasting studio. It We're eventually getting there. We're okay. Getting there. We're getting there. So it, it, it started like that, but you know, with, with all the work you guys put into it, it, it kind of evolved into something really, really cool and groundbreaking. So tell us a little bit about your role there. Well, one of the things that we had to make sure of was the question, we can't do that, <laughs> was never going to come up. So there was a lot of think tank about it, you know, just flexibility and trying to get to having every contingency covered. And what we were doing at that time, the, the webcasting thing kind of grew on us. Right. It wasn't really the prime direction. We wanted the playpen. We wanted a place that would be really great to play music in, a great place to record music. Unrivaled for sound. And, you know, the API console being the heart of it. And one of the things you have to understand is that it's a classic design and I think it may be the only classic discrete console available now. This, this is a brand new console. It's built now. Yeah. You could order a brand new one. But the sound goes back to the classic consoles of the 70s. And, you know, here we are on this uh, cusp of really embracing digital technology for sound. But at the same time, digital technology has a lot of room for growth. And one of the things people are embracing is old analog technology. And the mixture of the two brings this je ne sais quoi to the sound. Raw digital kind of is OK. But you know everybody's uh, buying classical vacuum tube mics and vacuum tube gear and trying to sweeten the sound that they're recording. We built a control room which is a 5.1 control room. The idea is that at some point in time, we'd like to be able to broadcast in 5.1. That's down the road. Right now, we're broadcasting in stereo at 720p and 48K sound. And that's actually a little better than you get off a CD. The and Dennis has a system for doing uh, quadraphonic sound. 
but that's another story. You know, you hear you hear people say that when they play in this in this room in this this room you've the studio you've created, artists their their jaws would drop. Well, that's that's the real best piece of candy in the store. Uh, Meyer has this. John Meyer um, of Meyer Sound developed this technology called Constellation, and what Constellation is is an infinitely adjustable acoustic. Uh, quality to the room. What they do is they upholster the walls and the ceiling with, I mean, virtually. There are a lot of speakers, and what you end up with is you can model any acoustic environment in our live room. There are 20 mics, you can't see them in the ceiling. There's no area which is hot or no area which is uh, devoid of pickup from the mics. And what the mics do, it's not like uh, if they were to patch a reverb into this mic and you could make my Mm -hmm. voice reverb. It is a system that is really part of the room. And what you end up with is the ability to have a really intimate club-like environment all the way to a giant cathedral. With differential uh, reverb in the ceiling, you know, a very tall cathedral, you'd have a very long reverb going vertically. You, and you can not essentially as... sound like you're in Carnegie Hall in a shack exactly. in a, a hockey stadium. Right. I don't know where I got that. But... We have a preset for Carnegie Hall, I think a preset for Concertgebouw, and a pre- preset for Grace Cathedral. And essentially, when you're playing a song, you can play in all these different places. You can bring it verse to verse, or however you want to do it. Um, you can you can you can use the room for em- for musical emphasis. You know, so this room, this magical room that you guys are talking about, it, it seems to keep evolving. You know, you talk about. Uh, you know, you talk about where it came from, how you, you were thinking about a recording studio. It's become a, a, essentially a, a webcasting studio. So, I mean, you got to, is this a business? Is this a hobby? Is, is Started off a hobby, but it's, it, it started off a hobby, but I think it's turning into a business because we see a lot of potential for it. It, you know, I, and I, I want to ask you, what about, about Tri-Studios is, is maybe a game changer for uh, music and, and the technology? Well, uh, we've done a few broadcasts, and I honestly think that uh, we're doing 720p. It's on a high-resolution server, and the feedback we're getting from people is, I've never seen or heard anything like this on the Internet. It's also HD It does look and sound great. It's, so it's not your traditional webcasting. You guys, it, it looks really, really good if you look at it. Well, the, the thing about it is um, uh, if you have it up on a big screen or if you're holding a screen close to you in, in earphones, um, headphones, it's, uh, it's a more intimate musical experience than you can get any other way. You know, and how will this enable, you guys have such a community. That, I mean, the Grateful Dead has a massive community. How will this enable the community? Well, it'll get them inside the music. It, uh, if, you, if, you, uh, if you put it up on your flat screen, you have a surround system. Most surround systems have a, sort of a, a fake surround that you can, you can dial up. And you can put yourself in the middle of the band, in the middle of the band, not just in front. With, uh, with, with a several camera shoot, you can, uh, you're basically inside the band. In the future, we'll probably, when, when the bandwidth is available, hopefully, um, 
we'll probably go to a system where you can you can cut to the shot you want at a given time. Um, we're not there yet. The the uh, the web isn't there yet. Well, and you know. Where you're, you're thinking in a year from now, this could be completely, completely different. Uh, you know, we uh, we read the trades. Mm -hmm. and, but this, <laughs> so this isn't going to be. You're going to go out there and tour. This isn't a. You know, this isn't you saying we have this great quality music. We're going to webcast. You can access it on your iPhones, your iPad. But you know, you're you're still going to be out there touring. I'm going to still tour. But if this if this starts going great guns, I'm going to be spending a fair bit of time at home because you can't do this any other way. Right. Just like you can't play live any other way to a lot of people. Still, we'll have have a room full of, you know, we'll have an audience in, right in front of us, and we're working on ways to uh, have interaction between, uh, live interaction between uh, the web audience and ourselves. Right. You know, what, what's the most exciting part of this for, for you guys, being a part of this? Well, for me, and as a front of house mixer, we have live music, and as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't get any better than that. And we're doing live music in a studio environment, so you don't have any hideous acoustics. And there are good venues and there are bad venues. There are lightning storms. There, are, you know, I love summer touring, but at the same time, there's a price you have to pay. We're doing live music in a studio with uh, fantastic gear, gear that captures every nuance. It, you wouldn't. You'd be crazy to take a six thousand dollar mic out on the road with you, but in a studio you could do that, and it does make a difference. Yeah. There's a huge difference, and the fact that the environment is so embracing of the music makes mixing it really, 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 really fun. You're not pushing up against a tin roof of a shed or the back of an arena. So you've got an ideal acoustic, you've got a, an acoustic that changes wonderfully to match the music, and uh, you know that the audience is hearing that because it, it's not a matter of how far someone is from the stage or what speakers are covering them. They're receiving the same signal, and you know most people are pretty savvy. I've been uh, on our Facebook and our uh, web page, and there's a lot of good feedback. You know, People are calling it the couch tour. <laughs> calling it what? The couch tour. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, if you think can... a, lot, a lot of deadheads now have families, so you know they can... <laughs> well, we have opportunities also, this gives us opportunities for people, um, for instance, have a jazz, a jazz artist come in and do a, uh, a weekend there, uh, bring in various, uh, various different folks every night and uh, work, the, work up material during the day and put it up on the web at night. Um, and tell everyone, I'm, I'm going to open it up for questions soon, so if you guys want to think of anything to ask Bob and Wiz... Uh, we'll go there. I, I, tell people what you have coming up, because you guys have an event coming up tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, we've got the band Slightly Stupid in there. They're going to be doing a pay-per-view event out of there. And uh, I don't guess this is the place to get into the legal, the legal issues of live as, as opposed to pay-per-view. Uh, pay there have definitely been challenges you've had to face with doing this. Right. There, there, there are all sorts. There, you, uh, once you start, uh, once you start um, recording stuff, uh, 
and playing it back later on demand, uh, <clears throat> the publishing situation gets very different. If, uh, if you're just playing, playing live, uh, it's like a, a radio show. Bob, a couple more questions. You know, how do you consume music these days? Do you use an iPod, streaming services? I mean, how do you, how do you discover and consume music now? Um, I've got a real good system at home. I've got a little home studio. Um, the surround sound, uh, pro gear. Um, a lot of it I listen to from, uh, from you know, my computer collection. Uh, you know, iTunes. But I also have a, 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 a digital turntable that sounds mighty fine. Uh, it's, it's a turntable with a digital stylus on it, or it's not really a stylus, but it picks up the, uh, the grooves uh, with, with a laser. And it's real accurate and doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't, touch the records so that your records will last forever. Uh, that sounds real good. But I have, my, my, my big record collection is in storage. I've got to find a place to put it, bring it back and find a place to put it in there somehow so that I can do a little more listening to that stuff. You know, I want to ask you guys both this question, and then maybe we'll open it up to the audience. What do you think the, the biggest technological innovation um, in the decade was in music in this last decade? Dennis, you take it first. <laughs> I, I think that uh, getting the bandwidth up to 96K. Yeah. You know, we, we got CDs uh, years ago, and they're 44.1, and 96K is more than double that. And it's got to go further than that, because, you know what, I'm not going to get too technical, but, you know, 44.1 is just barely over 40,000 cycles. And that's, that's only two samples for a 20 kilohertz event. We can, well, when we were young, we could hear 20 kilohertz. Um, you younger but, folks can hear 20 kilohertz. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the ability to quantify sound beyond that is important because uh, Rupert Neve, he's like the most famous designer of consoles, actually uh, decided and proved in a, in a court case that quantifying sound well above audio is important because it has effects, harmonic effects, on what's going on in our audio range. So going to 96K, I think, was one of the biggest gems for me, and it's visceral. The difference between a CD and listening to 96K is, is physical. You immediately know it's not theoretical. One time I, uh, I did an experiment just, just by myself. I had a friend with me. And uh, I parked my car and opened the doors. And uh, it was on an on a, a isolated street up in the woods. And I had him play. Uh, the same source material, a CD, and then a, uh, a tape. And uh, the CD, of course, is digital, and the tape is, uh, is uh, analog. And I backed off about 50, 75 feet and had him toggle between the two. Um, the difference was enormous. You know, I don't want to say day and night because everybody says day and night 
all day and all night. But it is amazing the difference uh, that you you can you can hear at that dis at that distance. Well, you're hearing that up front, but you're also you're you're also hearing a, a bunch of other stuff up front. You're hearing secondary reflections and but the music. The music holds together in, in audio in a way that it does not in uh, in the digital format right now. If they get it up to 192, uh, if they get the sampling rate up to 192, and in in, uh, in a couple of years, we'll be maybe halfway there. But it's it's going to be a long time before digital digital sound approaches the. Uh, the the visceral, as Dennis says, uh, uh, feeling of analog sound. Uh, I want to open it up to questions. Does anybody? And he's got a he's got a mic. He's going to bring. Yeah, to and you, unfortunately, so. we have to wrap it in about three minutes. My okay. boss is going to kill me. Oh dear. Otherwise, <laughs> um, but we'd love to have you just keep running. We'd love to have you back and plan it a little more in advance so we can give you a longer slot. But hello, David Hyman. It's an honor to be here. Um, are you guys thinking about being able to push much higher bit rate, higher resolution quality archived when it's not real time? So after the show, you've had time to post master it and put up an archive in a very high resolution format? Anything we record, we record at 96K right now. And uh, multi-tracking on Pro Tools, that's about as far as you want to push it for now. But, you know, like Bobby said, it's just the start. But will you make that available after a live event? That's very complex, and we don't record everything because of that. There's pretty, pretty serious uh, copyright things involved. Yeah, it's ephemeral, ephemeral use versus broadcast and uh, archive. Well, I hate to do this, but thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Really, thank you, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you.